This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the Assistant Director here at the Hendricks Center. And today, we are going to be talking about eschatology, so the end things. And particularly, we're going to be focusing in on why why what we believe about the end times matters for like our Thursday, <laughs> that mm-hmm. it actually impacts how we live day to day. And so we are joined by uh, Dr. Michael Spiegel, who is the department chair and professor of theological studies here at Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome, Thanks Dr. For Spiegel. Me. He has been my professor for about 15 years, so I am not going to be able to call him Michael. <laughs> um, and then uh, there's Daryl, who's my boss, who I have no problem calling Daryl, <laughs> who's the executive director for cultural engagement here at the Hendricks Center and senior research professor of New Testament at Dallas Seminary as Good well. Good to see you, Thank Kim. Thank you for being here with uh, us today, Anytime. Uh, so it seems like in church history, there's kind of an ebb and flow as far as an interest, um, a widespread interest, let's say, in eschatology. Sometimes <clears throat> the church is really, really interested and it's all it's talking about or it's one of the major things it's talking about. And other times mm, people are kind of like, yeah, Jesus is coming back. We're not really sure mm-hmm. beyond that. Um, But it seems to me that there is also, so in a parallel sense, there's also this like nerve running through the body of Christ where it always matters. Mm -hmm. And and if you push on it wrong, it will set certain people off. Um, And so I just want to make clear that today, (laughs) as we're talking about eschatology, we aren't looking so much to... um, argue for a specific position, though we are DTS um, and are historically and continue to be committed to dispensationalism with um, a dispensational view. But uh, our emphasis more is trying to surface or trying to look at essentially like the musculature that eschatology provides the believers as they live daily. I think um, it underlies so much of what we do, and we don't actually know or recognize that it does. Um, And even more frightening, the two might be disconnected. So we might think we believe one thing and we're living in a different way. And so hopefully people listening will say, hmm, shouldn't I want to be more intentional (laughs) about what I believe and how I live? So that's where we're headed today. Um, But before we get fully to that conversation, I want to talk to you gentlemen about how did you end up thinking through the eschatology area? And um, yeah, we'll start there. Uh, Dr. Spiegel, how did you start thinking through it? Yeah, I mean, I came to the Lord out of a, a mainline denominational tradition, which we didn't really talk about it at all. In fact, we were discouraged from talking about eschatology or end times things other than just Jesus is coming back someday, um, resurrection of the dead, eternal life, that was it. And then when I became a Christian, um, the pastor who led me to the Lord was a a premillennialist interested in end times things. But it really hit me in Bible college 
when I started mm. looking that, into that myself and, and had classes. I had Charles Ryrie for uh, eschatology back did in Bible you college. Really? I did, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, and then really my study of patristics, early church, um, really influenced my thinking on that, especially at a more practical level, because it was uh, very, very important for them for not just right thinking, but right living. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that I've tried to carry with me into my ministry. Hmm. I, um, a fun aside, I learned out, I learned who uh, Darby was because of a paper I had to work on with Dr. Spiegel for my internship. Hmm. So maybe we'll hit Darby <laughs> a little bit later. <laughs> All right, uh, Dr. Bach, Daryl, woo, look at that. <laughs> I'm getting in a mode. Um, how did you end up? thinking about eschatology in these areas? Well, I lived in uh, the 70s, came to the Lord in the early 70s, in the shadow of Israel um, having won the Six-Day War. Uh, and so eschatology was was a nerve. It wasn't just the little strand that went mm-hmm. through. Everyone was in back pain, <laughs> okay, because of trying to figure everything out, what's going on, what could be next around the corner, is Jesus coming soon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I went to Dallas. And the one thing you couldn't do to da- at Dallas in the in the late seventies is not think about eschatology. <laughs> so, um, so I was kind of surrounded by it. Uh, would be one way to say it. And then, and then trying to process eschatological hope in imminence. You know, Jesus next thing could be the next mm-hmm. thing that happens. We could be gone. You know, before the podcast is over, all the way over to the fact of well, people have had that expecta- expectation, and we're all still here. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to deal with what is that very natural biblical tension uh, that we all have. So, um, so yeah, so it's been an interest ever since. And then the, and then the monkey wrench in the whole mm-hmm. thing was realizing that the term eschatology, the way we use it popularly, is actually probably not the best biblical definition for the term, because we have been in the last times ever since yes. Jesus showed up. Mm-hmm. And so we, it isn't a matter of talking about the eschatology that is yet to come because we're in the eschatological times already, which most people don't even think about. So, um, so I hope that didn't confuse you, but that's that's how it happens. Confuse me. And in a sense, from day one, you know, the the whole plan and purpose of God has been forward looking. So everybody, every age of God's plan of redemption has had an eschatology. Mm-hmm. So we're in this. We got to know where we are in the story. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to, so we know how to live and what to believe. It's kind of the you are here. Exactly. We need to know where we are, right? So why do you all think that it's that eschatology in general strikes such a nerve for some? (laughs) Because a lot of people have a different a lot of different views about what's coming. So um, what do you think is driving that? Well, I mean, I, I think it's a natural human, you know, when God made us in his image, he gave us the ability to think and reason and think, not only look back, but look forward and wrestle with where we're headed and all those kinds of questions. And so I think people naturally want to know, okay, so where's this going? Not just where, I, where am I going, but where's this going? And in the midst of thinking about that and then having an array of answers mm. that everyone says is biblical, which is... <laughs> Is confusing, okay. Um, boom. On a variety of topics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're off and running. Yeah. And you had uh, different eschatological expectations pre-Christian. You know, the, the Jewish people had different ideas. The Greeks had different ideas how this was all going to end. Some were a little more heavenly and spiritual, some more earthy. And then, 
you get into the early church, you inherit some of those same tendencies. So by the second century, you had a diversity of opinions just on big questions like the millennium and then get into the, the details of end times events and how literal and how spiritual to take things. So the diversity that you're seeing in evangelicalism is not new. We've been dealing with it for 2,000 years. Interesting. So with all of those people having different opinions, different interpretations, uh, some people tend to hold them very, very strongly. Mm -hmm. So in light of where we're headed with the rest of this conversation, what might be y'all's exhortation to those who have a very specific opinion on what the end things is what is going to happen even now should be happening now and headed until the end of all things. What would be y'all's word to those listeners? Yeah, I will first start out by saying we, we, we need to understand what the main things are, even though there have been a, a variety, dozens, hundreds of different views on details from, you know, order of end times events to nature of the millennium to identity of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. Uh, there are still these things that the church has always believed uh, from the beginning in, in uh, near unanimous consensus. So, and that's simply that Someday in the future, Jesus Christ is coming back as judge and king. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. This world is not going to be the same as it always is. There's going to be a restoration of creation and eternal life, banishment of sin, death, devil, uh, suffering. I think we can uh, reemphasize those basic foundational hopes of the Christian faith as a starting point. This is something we all have in common. Now we can start talking about legitimate diversity of opinions. And knowing the difference between those two things, if you can get that settled, it'll cut down on a lot of the vitriol, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I very much agree that uh, I was going to say, you step back and you say, what do we hold in common? Mm -hmm. We hold in common that Jesus is coming back. We hold in common that this is a hope. We hold in common that this hope means the restoration of the way the creation was originally intended to function. Um, there are lots of things that go into that bucket that we share that actually are at the core of what we're hoping for. And so um, so that's what to, what's to be focused on on the one hand. And then the differences are kind of like um, in-family conversations, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I love my sister. I don't always agree with her about everything that she ever did in her life, and she certainly feels that way about me. So uh, that kind of thing. And at the same time, you can also, if you have a posture of humility, mm -hmm. you're able to learn potentially more about the faith and more about Scripture and the Lord and perhaps even some end things mm -hmm. if we're willing to kind of hear what the other perspectives have to say. You don't have to accept it all, you know, right. wholesale, but there is learning that can happen, especially if it is your interest, you mm -hmm. know. So what about the people on the other end of the spectrum? So, so the people who are like, listen, I do not have a journal with a bunch of charts. I don't have anything that I am looking for. You're missing so much happen. in life. I don't, I don't really care. Like Dr. Spiegel just said, Jesus is coming back. That's probably all I really care about. What might you say to those who would find themselves a bit agnostic about this conversation about the end things. My guess would be that in in stepping back from considering what the end is like, that you're missing some things that you need to know and understand and appreciate in order to understand who you're supposed to be now. 
Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so the lack of interest in where we are headed may actually create an, uh, an inability to appreciate who we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Anything you'd add? Yeah, I would say the same thing. I would also say that the, uh, just to kind of reiterate, there's a, there is a, a feedback loop as you are thinking about um, details of the end and how this is going to work out, how it's not going to work out. How do we get there? These are all questions that are answered by the details of eschatology. Is this something that we have to establish uh, in our own age uh, mm-hmm. prior to Christ's return versus is this something that we're, we have another mission until Christ returns or is it a little of both? How you answer those questions is going to affect, if you're consistent mm-hmm. with your eschatology, how you live on that, that Monday morning or, or I guess Thursday morning as, as mm-hmm. you brought up earlier. In fact, the failure to understand where eschatology takes us probably makes us more nervous in this time and then we're mm-hmm. more likely to make mistakes. Hmm. Interesting. So the, you talked about we've been referencing all these diversities of views. <laughs> we're definitely not going through the hundreds. Um, but in four or five big categories, what would you all – like for those who are listening, who are like, all right, I didn't really care, but you just told me that I should, so I'm listening. <laughs> what are kind of the big interpretational camps mm-hmm. for eschatology views? Just start throwing them out. We can work our way down a spectrum, or we can <laughs> well, just the way put I, them across. The way I teach my eschatology class is I begin with the things that we all hold in common. Mm-hmm. So Jesus Christ is coming back as Judge and King, resurrection, the things we mentioned. And then I say on top of that, you've got a diversity of opinions on the next big issue, which is the question of the millennium, the nature of the kingdom, uh, how much of it is not yet, how much of it is already. Uh, and it's kind of like a sliding scale to some degree in different areas. But the three big views traditionally have been the amillennial view, the premillennial, and the postmillennial. Again, these are on a spectrum, and they they overlap yeah. with each other. <laughs> the problem is there's varieties of amillennialism and varieties of premill. And varieties you just went from hundreds to so, three, right, so not, now right. we're in trouble. <laughs> so I like to think of them as like three continents that are overlapping, mm-hmm. and they have their own little cities, but... Um, and there's some things that are in common, and I think there's even probably a, at least a theoretical spot where they all sort of overlap with each other. So it, that's if you look at the history of that. But how you view the coming kingdom, the messianic age, does affect how you live today, and whether you think it's mostly or all heavenly or mostly or all earthly, mostly present or mostly future. I think that's the first kind of grid where you have to sort of figure out where you land and then work from there. Okay, so, so, so can I try and fill in cuz mm-hmm. I think with each of the three. So okay. if you're amillennial and you believe Jesus will come back and, and form the new heavens and the new new earth, you're less likely to be concerned about the role of Israel in the plan of God mm-hmm. just by the def, by that default. If you're if you're premillennial, you're going to be concerned with figuring out okay, so when is Jesus coming back to set this all up? Okay? If you're postmillennial, you're going to be working hard to fix things until we get there. Mm-hmm. And so those those break out into three very different general approaches, depending on which space I'm on. I, I like to compare views uh, to plate tectonics. They rub against each other mm-hmm. and they build pressure. And then, you know, when you get too much of a pressure, you get an earthquake. That's and the so ebb and flow. That's <laughs> the ebb and flow of our conversation. Yeah. And, and let me fill in even further then. So I feel like we're looking at it from the you know planetary perspective and then we're zooming in. So just to take... Amillennialism yeah. and varieties of that. That's basically saying the kingdom, 
the millennium as described in Revelation 20 actually began at Christ's ascension and comes to a conclusion with his return. So it's happening now. Well, in the history of that, some really emphasize it as a heavenly spiritual kingdom, and some emphasize it more as a present earthly reality through the church or somewhere in between. And depending on which one you take on that, mm-hmm. you know, your goal is to die and go to heaven, mm-hmm. and you have not a lot of concern about the present earth, or it's to realize that as much as possible in the earthly realm. Same with post-millennialism. In the history, there have been uh, what I would call, call kind of passive evangelistic post-millennialism, where you just preach the word and eventually, miraculously, there'll be this pouring out of the spirit and the world will convert. But then there's on the other extreme has been militant post-millennialism, where our job is to pick up the pitchforks and the spears and overthrow the king mm-hmm. and the church and establish and the perfect society, right? Mm-hmm. And then everything in between. So how you answer those questions uh, just by those examples has been very, very important to your day-to-day li- living, how you view the mission of the Christian. So just bringing that in a smidge more, so we were just in the countries, let's bring it to yep. the cities. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, how might that impact somebody like an accountant who is a parent, has kids at their school, they're, they attend church regularly, and they listen to the Table podcast. So can I play with your question and tweak it just a little bit? Sure. Uh, and that is, how would that impact me as a citizen? If I'm a citizen, uh, and whether I count num- whether I count uh, whether I'm counting bank accounts or whatever, um, uh, it it wrestles with the question. So, what exactly is my involvement in public space? What exactly? How should I think about government? What's its role mm-hmm. to be? How should I think about morality in public space, etc.? It, it's going to impact all of that. Um, do I have a? I'm going to put it in quotes. A theocratic expectation mm-hmm. for where we're headed, or not? Um, what might a theocratic expectation look like? Well, a theocratic expectation is the idea of governments are called to live by God's values mm-hmm. no matter what, okay? And you're going to enforce those values by the way you structure your government as opposed to um, an approach that says, well, we should live by God's standards, but we also understand we're living in the world. Yeah. And and so how do you balance that in the pluralism that we ex- uh, we experience, for example? So that, so that obviously those are not minor questions. Those are big orientation questions. Most people float through their theological life not even Mm -hmm. thinking about them. But they end up, depending on what they're absorbing, having a theological and eschatological worldview, whether they realize it or not. And so it's much better to be aware of what's going on around you than not being aware of what's going around you. So Mm -hmm. that's part of the reason for having this conversation. What would you add about the accountant as far as understanding what that might, how that might impact that daily life. Yeah, it's it's going to affect if if they're consistent. It's going to affect how they invest their their time, what they invest their money in, um, th- that kind of thing. What uh, if there's this urgency in missions, or if they they view their their job as kind of just uh, improving society? That's going to affect your day to day decisions. Mm-hmm. Simply, what are you going to do with your spare time? What are you going to do after work? What are you going to where are you going to send your kids to college? Mm-hmm. Um, who are you going to vote for? Mm-hmm. Right? Those questions. Who are you going to follow on X there you go. or Twitter, <laughs> formerly known as Twitter? <laughs> right? All of these decisions, sometimes unconsciously, we're making. Who are you making... going to face in the book, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these deci- right? Some of these, deci- these little decisions are being made based on kind of what do we view our mission 
as as Christians. Hmm. So okay, so that's the millennial mm-hmm. question. What's the next ring of yeah. discussion? Well, I can tell you what I deal with in class. After we answer the millennial question, we move on to the question of um, what's called futurism or historicism or preterism. The, uh, what about this? How do we take the book of Revelation and the end times events? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the next question. How you answer that? Also, in very clear example, sometimes um, premillennialists or dispensationalists are accused of believing that the world has to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And worse in order for Jesus to come back. So we almost have this, or we're accused of having this sort of global schadenfreude where we are delighting when things are getting worse because it means Jesus is coming back. Well, that's not really, if you hold to a futurist view of revelation and that these things are going to occur in the future during a seven-year period and that's yet to come, which has a distinct beginning, uh, the world can get better, could get worse, could stay the same, leading up to that commencement of those events. It's really in the what's called the historicist view that kind of took the book of Revelation and says it's describing the whole history of the church until Christ's return. Would you really necessarily begin to see this decline in the quality of society, mm. this collapse in society before the return of Christ? So there's some mixing of categories, and I'll just have to admit a lot of people in our own tradition have not been consistent mm-hmm. with that futurist expectation. So in my expectation, um, I think it's not a waste of time to be working to improve uh, society and the economy and, and people's lives and to invest in, in the future generations because we don't know if Jesus has come back today and or a thousand years from now. And uh, I don't expect the world to com- necessarily get worse and worse before that begins. And, mm-hmm. and just to add to that picture, uh, how we interact with people outside the church becomes a testimony for what people think about God. We've allowed eschatology in some cases mm-hmm. to separate, become separate from the mission of the church and to be its own distinct conversation and category. It's actually quite connected. When I go to share Christ and say, God cares about you, God loves you, he sent his son to die for you, etc., and someone comes back to me and says, well, where do I see evidence of that being the attitude of the church in the world? Um, which is a very good question to ask. Um, if the church is showing a total lack of concern for their neighbor in the midst of that process, that becomes an inconsistency between what we're saying mm-hmm. and what we're demonstrating. So you want those two things to align, not because you think necessarily you're going to fix the world, but because it is a goal to love people, care for them, and try and make the world a better place uh, as much as possible. And by doing so, making people aware of the presence of God and what it is that the church has to offer to the world. And we've allowed that distinction and that separation to prevent us from going there, and that ends up working against uh, everything a lot of people want to see in the church, which is see people who need the Lord come to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's like we (laughs) – I mean, this is a little bit different, I think, than what you're saying, but we – in the disconnect, we we no longer actually have hope, which is what you, you know yeah. like the, the gospel and mm-hmm. what the gospel is. And if we don't live out the 
rest of the gospel, which includes all of this eschatological mm-hmm. hope, then we're missing the whole point. And the risk becomes we isolate ourselves mm-hmm. from the very mission that God has given us, which is not to go into the church and make disciples, but go into the world and make mm-hmm. disciples. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, lo- we lose our, uh, our concern for evangelism if we're not careful, if we don't understand what the eschatological call is, why God has the church in our midst, what the church is supposed to be as a witness to what God is and will do, uh, all those things. We, that disconnect becomes a gap, and that gap can become a canyon. And when that canyon exists, then we cease to do the one thing God has called us to do until he comes back, which is to um, try and be a witness to, to what it is uh, God's grace is all about. Hmm. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So we have, we talked about the futurist a bit and Mm -hmm. the historicist, right? Sure, yeah. Different views of end times events. Yes, Mm -hmm. well, so, but we didn't cover preterist. Yeah. What does a preterist real life look like? Yeah. (laughs) They're busy boys. (laughs) (laughs) They, They basically say we, in one sense or another, the consummation has come, and we are the expression of the consummation now. They, I think there tends to be a fusion of what other views would see as the eschatology and what is going on now. And so, um, uh, you know, uh, preterists will place Jesus – some preterists will pl- place Jesus' second coming with the destruction of the temple in AD 70, for example. Already happened. Been there, done that. Um, so, like, we're in the eternal kingdom now? Not quite, but pretty close. Yeah, there's a it, usually there's a strong emphasis in some of those circles, and again, I'm generalizing because there's varieties of preterism, but a strong emphasis on well, we get saved now and we die and go to heaven, and right. the heavenly uh, destination is really the consummation. There's a there tends to be a, a de-emphasis on, uh, but then there's other varieties where it's partial preterism. So a lot of the right. events, mm-hmm. prophecies of Revelation were fulfilled in the first century, but we're still awaiting all those those big bucket things we talked about. So mm-hmm. there's those varieties, which I have a far more tolerance for. There are some, though, where they, they just deny even bodily resurrection because it's just dying and going to heaven. So you always have to f- ask them follow-up questions, you know, what is it that you really hold uh, 
within the, the bounds of that. Which brings view. us to another ring in the mm-hmm. big set yep. of things that we're talking about, and that is what does the end actually look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it a strictly spiritual existence and a kind of, uh, I'm going to use this description, even though it might be totally, not totally, a, a kind of disembodied presence yeah. with God? Or is there a full, what I call full physicality associated with it? It's a material and spiritual mm-hmm. reality that we'll live in. Uh, nations and nation states will matter. Uh, and not just being in the presence of God. It will be nations that worship God, not just individuals. That kind of thing will realize the people from every tribe and every nation while we're there. There's still an earthly structure and an earthly mm-hmm. presence over which God sits. My joke about the eschaton is no one will debate who the Pope is when Jesus comes back. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, uh, no, but that's a really it's – a, it's a real thing. You exactly know, we, right. We, we hear that and we're like, oh, well, of course not. We think – you know. Yeah. But I'm even in some of the training and teaching that we've done in the in our church, it's become very apparent when when we actually get into okay, so when we die, there's going to be this intermediate state. Mm-hmm. You know, we will be with the Lord, but that's not the end. Right. And and people just don't half the time don't know what to do with that because they don't they, they really functionally have that kind of disembodied heaven will be I'll be on leisure time 24/7 forever yeah. exactly. I mean, you know. yeah. on a cloud with a heart yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I tell people look it, we, we nobody I'm not denying that we when we die we go to heaven mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. we absent from the body present with the lord but you follow that with a with an ellipsis dot 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 mm-hmm. until Mm-hmm. Uh, resurrection of the body, restoration of creation. This world is going to be restored and, and renewed, and it's going to be exactly like Daryl describes. Um, I tell my kids when they would ask me about what's what's heaven like, I said, well, do you mean heaven? Do you mean the new heavens and the new earth? So I try to redirect them, and I say, it's, it's like this world without all the bad things. It's earthy. I mean, you'll be able to mm-hmm. reach down and pick it up. That's how earthy it is, and you'll have a hand to do it. And so too many people think... The Christian eschatology, even if they have charts saying otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, we reinforce it through these songs and hymns and conversations and pop theology. They think that eschatology is dying, going to heaven! Exclamation point. Jesus right? wins. I get that all the time. <laughs> and of yeah. course, the end chapters of the Bible are the new heavens and and and, and the new earth. Yep. Mm-hmm. Guess what? There will be birds and butterflies and animals and people and water and clouds and all that yeah it's very it's very much god as you said early on taking this place back to and outdoing what was originally yeah it's planned. a restora it's, it's a, a restoration, restoration and enhancement at yep, the same time exactly yep isn't that exciting though yeah. well of course it is i think so <laughs> well but i i think that's part of the hope that is sometimes mm-hmm. lost too mm-hmm. is because if you don't have that dimension then the things that we do here in our earthiness, even now, don't really matter, you know. Yeah. And or they matter too much, right? Unpack that. Okay, so they matter too much. In other words, if I don't know where things are going, if I'm not confident that justice will come to the earth mm. one day, if I'm not confident that sin will be done away with, uh, and that I've got to fight to to stop its presence, then I'm gonna. I'm the risk is I'll try and do too much, mm-hmm. for lack of a better description. Because be, it matters yeah. too much. And be very frustrated when you can't get it done. Yeah, exactly right. right. Now someone's to blame. So understanding where you are in the story, the, the other extreme is, mm-hmm. you know, it's out of my hands and why polish the chrome on a sinking ship and this idea. Well, 
the reality is, yes, there's a coming kingdom. We're citizens of that coming kingdom. But now we are to live out the values and priorities of that coming kingdom. And if if part of the job in the future kingdom is to is to pick up all these styrofoam cups we polluted for, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, and restore this creation, maybe we should be about that today, you know, uh, live out our citizenship and the values of those things and justice and righteousness and peace and um, he- work toward healing, right? Uh, work against the forces of evil and wickedness in this world, knowing, though, because we know we're not there yet, Mm -hmm. that it's going to be two steps forward, three steps back, four steps forward, two steps back. It's going to be a battle, but we don't give up on on righteousness because we're not glorified yet, right? Mm -hmm. But Therefore, we don't give up on the, the priorities of the coming kingdom because we're not there yet. We keep living those things out. So that means that there are three things that are associated with how we understand the future. One is aspirational. Where is God taking us and what does that look like? The second is the idea of, oh, well, this is an audiovisual. What the future looks like is what we're supposed to be uh, kind of a sneak preview of now. So you have the aspirational and you have this, this sneak preview dimension. And then the third part of it is uh, understanding that that in reaching towards that aspiration and reflecting that aspiration, you are you are trying to show where God is actually taking us, its trajectory. And so so you put those three things together and all of a sudden you've got it, you've kind of got a lane to live in mm-hmm. um, that you can pursue and you have a target in mind as you're on that lane. So in light of kind of what we're talking about right now and DTS's historic commitment with dispensationalism, sometimes dispensationalism has gotten a a rap for maybe being one of those polishing the chrome on a sinking Mm -hmm. ship kind of thing. What first, we've said the word a lot, but some people who are listening might not necessarily know exactly what we're talking about when we're saying dispensational. So so can somebody unpack that and then can we talk through how we should how essentially a, a dispensational perspective looks like daily lived out. So who wants to define dispensationalism? You've been at this longer than I have. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play ping pong. The good thing is that I'm asking the questions. <laughs> so a, dispensation, a dispensation comes from a Latin word, translates the Greek word oikonomia, and it's the word for administration. So the idea is that the program, the program of God has different administrative structures along the way that are related to one another as the program of God unfolds. And there's a, there's a stewardship responsibility within an administration that people have to know where they fit in that plan of salvation and how they're supposed to respond. I like – normally dis- Dispensations will divide the three key periods of, of associated with dispensation as law, grace, and millennium. I actually don't like those three descriptions because they're different kinds of things. I prefer to think about Israel, church, and millennium because they're the same kind of restructured mm-hmm. entity. Um, and and so they relate to what, how does how does the law of the Old Testament and the Torah relate to what's going on now and what will happen in the millennium? Those kinds of questions come up. And dispensationalists have been known for making distinctions in the administration, noting the differences between those administrations, and then what 
progressive dispensationalism has done is, yeah, but in the midst of those differences, there's certain continuities that are advancing the program that we also have to keep our eye on. Mm -hmm. So that was, I did that in about 90 seconds. Well <laughs> okay. done. So, um, that was like years of your life consolidated. <laughs> yeah, it's frightening to think about it. Um, there was a time when I did have dark hair and I had a lot more of it. Anyway, so... Um, so yeah, so that's the dispensational background. And of course, what happened was, is that dispensationalism, this is a result of the fundamentalist modernist controversy to a certain degree, is dispensationalism came to the point where it was defending the Bible and staying away from what came viewed as social action. Mm -hmm. and, and in that division, that meant that people were just doing evangelism, were trying to bring people to the Lord, because what matters is their salvation, what happens to them in the future. And we became less concerned for what was going on around us unless it impacted that mission. Of course, what that did was to create this divide I talked about earlier, which is that we lost the ability to see that how we treat people outside, who are outside the church, um, is a reflection of our message, because our message is God loves you and cares for you and sent his son for you. Well, how do I see God's care and love for people outside the church unless I show it by the way I minister? And so... Um, so it got severed from our mission uh, by, you know, we're polishing chrome on the titanium. I mean, that's a, that, is a, that was a legitimate yeah. illustration that mm -hmm. was used. Um, and, and in the process of that severing, we actually lost one of the best means we have to show why Jesus matters. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so now what's happening is you have some people who are trying to reconnect those things, mm -hmm. even though they have an eschatology that says, we're not fixing this till the end. Um, because they want more people to benefit from what it is God offers in the meantime, and the understanding that the quality of life in this life is enhanced by having a life that walks with God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, if I'm if I'm hearing you right, the going back to you know our accountant, um, the way dispensationalism would look like lived out in the in the type of dispensationalism you're talking about is recognizing I am a part of the church age. There's a certain stewardship and responsibility as a part of that, and which is what you're talking about. I'm a as witness far as, to the goodness and grace yes, of God. So, and telling people that God loves you and demonstrating and, and how that is. That's right. Yes. Yeah, I, I have a line that I like to use from Hamilton. You know, the Hamilton has a song where uh, Aaron Burr is being introduced to Alexander Hamilton, and the line goes... Um, Talk less, smile yeah. more. Okay, I love that song. Don't go <laughs> through the rest of that line because it doesn't apply. But anyway, and I like to say, well, we need to adjust that. It needs to be talk less, show more, that we show who we are. We show God's care. We show God's grace. We live out as an ambassador what his character mm -hmm. is about. And when we do that well, we care for people. We care for people both inside and outside the church. We care about what goes on with people inside and outside the church. And when we connect our our evangelism and our mission and our calling to that level of care as part of our outreach, we actually engage in an evangelism as it was designed to be engaged. And most of the Bible is about everyday life outside the spiritual activity of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's worth contemplating. And this is important too because how we view the ultimate end, if you view the ultimate end of dying, going to heaven, and emphasize the spiritual, the tendency is going to have a faith, a lived faith that is only emphasizing the invisible and the spiritual, right? And sometimes the private. The private, personal, yeah, individual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if we understand that God's plan of redemption is the whole cosmos, from the from the birds and the bees to the 
flowers in the trees and everything in between. Um, now, that just that whole worldview that God is concerned about the physical world, and if he's concerned about the physical world, he's concerned about the people and the animals and the, um, the nature, etc., that is going to make us better citizens of this world. The other thing I like to point out is that because this creation, and this is one thing when Daryl was talking about, uh, some of the older forms of dispensationalism really emphasizing beginning and end of these things rather mm. than they're actually headed somewhere mm -hmm. and building upon each other. Mm -hmm. uh, the continuity. Right, the continuity. Yeah. There, when it was a beginning and end, there tended to be this emphasis on, well, this world is going to be burned up and destroyed into nothing and just God's going to start over and create a brand new world, which is not my view, but it's out there. And if you understand that, no, it's this world that God created that he's going to redeem. He's going to restore. He's going to glorify. The fact that it is going to be done means, no, we're, we're fighting a winning battle. Mm -hmm. We're not fighting a losing battle. Mm -hmm. We're just waiting for the reinforcements. And it, could you imagine if you're an army and you are convinced that nobody's coming to help? This battle's never going to end well. I mean, imagine what that's going to do to the way you carry out your, your operations. But if you are waiting at any moment for the reinforcements to come in, and this is going to turn the tide. Uh, I think that just inspires us to to live out even more the, the soldiering that we're supposed to be doing. And just to mention the Bible, uh, Roman, <laughs> Romans eight, Romans eight talks about all creation groaning for the redemption of God. Mm -hmm. So this is not something that's privatized. It's not privatized. The point is, this is about me and my God. No, this is about us and our God. This is about us in the midst of the creation and our God. Mm -hmm. This is about everything that God created in Genesis 1 being restored so that by the time we get to the end of Revelation, mm -hmm. everything is restored. And we're people who are previewing and moving towards that trajectory. And everything that we do should be related towards that establishing that tra trajectory. So that accountant is counting. He's not just counting money. He's counting how he lives his life mm -hmm. in line with where God is taking us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was a nice tie. Yeah, tie well, I was working on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually, I was about to say that our time is pretty much up. I, um, just to summarize, I think we, you know, we talked about how there is a connection between our beliefs and our actions, whether we know it or not. And we want to make sure that that is a clean, intentional line instead of us living out something that we don't actually believe. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the key things that all Christians believe, what is it, Dr. Siegel? Jesus Christ is coming back as judging king. He's going to banish sin, death, the devil, and usher in his kingdom. There's going to be a resurrection of the body, restoration of all things. Thank you. And then for those who, um, in the variety of opinions <laughs> beyond that... I will not list those. No, please don't. <laughs> we already did. <laughs> but um, Like key, credits at the end of a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But key in that is just the recognition of the importance of the life that we're living here mm -hmm. and now, and that what we believe matters and we need to take our place, um, however you want to place it as far as, you know, the you are here mm -hmm. arrows with the different interpretations, but we need to take our place as God's people representing his kingdom and representing it We're all it ambassadors. Well We're all ambassadors for the Lord and representing a kingdom 
that exists in the midst of the world that's not the world. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of doing that, trying to draw people into what that opportunity to experience God means and to be to be light. So we're going to talk less, we're going to show more, we're going to shine, and in shine the light it hopefully draws. And in drawing people, um, people are drawn closer to God, and the closer they get to God, the better off they'll be. Indeed, and there will be a lot more hope for all of us mm -hmm. in the midst. Gentlemen, thank you for your time, for joining us and talking about these things. Uh, we, I really appreciate both your ministries in my life and in the wider DTS community. So thank you for being here. Thanks. Pleasure. And we just want to thank you who are listening. Uh, we ask that you... Um, we want to thank those of you who have tuned in and listened and would just ask that you would review us anywhere that you are listening to podcasts and be sure to join us next time when we discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.